everyone and welcome to the extra yard now that the nfl draft is officially over there is a ton of content to cover uh, there was a fair share of drama throughout the week and weekend and chaos which last week i alluded to the fact that i was super excited for that and i needed it in my life so that was fun there were some really good picks and probably some not so good picks um, but today i want to talk about one team who i was actually surprised by at the end of the weekend simply because they addressed some of the needs that I highlighted last week that I thought they needed. And this is probably the first time I've ever been impressed by their draft. Um, So because of that, so congrats um, to them. Anyways, before we get started, I do want to introduce uh, this week's first time guest. I'm very excited about her. So Jen Mueller. Jen is known for being an expert talker. It seems like that's kind of her brand, which is fun. At least every when I did some research on her, that was what was on all of her, the things highlighting her, I guess. So she's written three books. She founded Talk Sporty to Me, which we will address later on, all while working as a member of the Mariners television broadcast on Root Sports here in Washington and a sideline. She's also a sideline reporter for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, so basically she has quite the resume and she knows how to talk about sports very well. Um, with all that being said, Jen, thank you for joining me today. Welcome to the Action yeah. Yard. Super excited to have you. How are you doing this morning? You know what? I am excited to talk about the Seahawks draft class because I, like you, really like their selections. Yes. And it feels weird to say that. I think I prep myself to always, I guess, hate on, for lack of a better word, hate on their draft picks. Um, but I didn't. I don't really have anything super negative to say about these ones. So, it'll be fun. You know, I think here's what I think happened this year because I've had this conversation with a lot of people. Only having three draft picks forced everybody to look at each one of them differently as opposed to when they have seven or eight and some of them just get lost in the shuffle and you're like man I can't figure out how this guy is going to help the team because you know he's a seventh round pick or whatever it is but when you only have three it's a whole lot easier to picture how they're going to help the team and I think that has led to some really positive reactions from the fan base in general Mm -hmm. yes so I'm excited I've always said that this is not a Seahawks podcast, yet somehow the Seahawks get brought up every week. Um, Like, there's definitely been weeks where we were just supposed to talk about the AFC East and somehow Seattle gets brought up. (laughs) Um, But I think this is a perfect week to literally just talk about the Seahawks, considering, I mean, you're basically an expert. So I'm excited to have you on this week. Before we get started, maybe let's just preface with the draft in general. I mean, I'm assuming you watched it. Was there anything that really stood out to you that you liked, maybe didn't like? Any storylines that you enjoyed throughout the weekend? You know, I I did watch the draft. I watch it with a slightly different eye because I'm always trying to figure out what the Seahawks are going to do and then how the opponents, particularly in the division, are going to do and and what they're going to pick. Honestly, though, my overall thought this year was, man, this is an exercise in people talking just to hear themselves talk. And I have watched the draft for years and years and years, and it drove me crazy the number of people trying to predict what these guys were going to do in the NFL for a couple of different reasons. One, the college season was nothing 
like a normal year last year. So trying to extrapolate those stats from a really small sample size or going back to when they were juniors or sophomores, it's almost futile. Like that, what you did as a sophomore or junior in college has zero bearing on what happens in the NFL. And to that point, you can't accurately predict what's going to happen in the NFL with most of these guys. And talent is one thing, but building a team is another thing. And that's the other thing. Because I think you and I, like the Seahawks draft, there was a ton of critics and pundits and so-called experts out there that said that was a terrible draft. And they said that because there was only three draft picks. And they said it because, well, there was more talented players available at a position. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you have no idea what the Seahawks need, right? You're looking at a roster. You're not looking at the team. And I think, again, because the Seahawks only had three draft picks. And I was able to watch this and just kind of sit back and almost relax for a few of those rounds once it became evident that John Schneider was not trading to get a dozen picks. And I just thought, man, you know, it's so interesting the way that you talk about players that you really are trying to predict their future. And in some cases, you are penalizing guys who did not play last year because of COVID. I just thought it was interesting. Um, and also as a broadcaster, I'm going to tell you, super impressive that they can fill three days. Right? That, that's a hard thing to do. But this year, it just struck me as... Anybody who thinks they know what's going to happen with these draft picks is like using the magic eight ball to figure out whether it's going to work or not, because nobody knows what's going to happen after this last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's, and I think we, we can talk about this a little later, uh, but you know, when you're grading a draft, I think everyone grades on a different scale. Right. And then, and a lot of people, as you highlighted, said, no, this is a terrible draft for Seattle because they had three picks and, you know, why didn't they create more, whatnot. But then there's also the people who look at it and say, well, they only had three picks because they traded those for, you know, Jamal Adams and Gabe Jackson, you know, all of these things. So Carlos Dunlap. Yep, exactly. So and I would rather have those guys proven guys mm -hmm. than anybody that was available in the draft, right? Because there's always a learning curve. Now, I understand the salary cap implications are far different, right? It's a whole lot better on your salary cap if you have young guys on their first contract that are playing well and helping your team. That is not the case with Jamal Adams, right? As he is, he is up for a contract extension, I get that it changes the scope of the money side. But if we go specifically to your point on talent and who you already have on the team, I, yeah, I would rather have those guys than not. Right. So let's start while we're already talking about this. Let's start with what grade you would give this draft class and maybe explain the criteria that you're grading it on. You know, I would say this. It's always hard to tell what's going to happen. I would say this is probably a B plus, okay. right? Because you still have some question marks here. Um, and we won't know how this plays and how this actually grades out for a couple of years. But here's what I would say. You have two out of the three guys that could potentially contribute in big ways right away, in Dwayne Eskridge and in Trey Brown. 
And I think we got a pretty good indication of what Shane Waldron is looking for in a new offense. With Stone Forsythe, the tackle, and I realized people wanted the Seahawks to take a center and they wanted a whole bunch of other things, but you have to address tackle when both of your tackles are on the final year of their deal. Now, that's not to say that these guys aren't going to get re-upped. It's not to say that this is the last year that Dwayne Brown is in Seattle. But you do have a guy in Stone who played left tackle for the last couple of years at Florida, and now is the time to get him into the system. So I would say when you have two out of three that are going to be key contributors, that's a good draft. And for the first time in several years, I think you are going to see a handful of free agents make this roster. In the past, it has been very hard to convince free agents and, and their agents, right, undrafted free agents, to come to Seattle and take their chance because when the Seahawks draft six, seven guys, there's just not that much room for somebody else to make the roster. And I don't know all of the free agents and I won't be able to tell how they fit in until training camp. But I do think the Seahawks have been very good at finding undrafted free agents, some diamonds in the rough. And I think you're going to find a couple of those that pop when they get on the field in August. Okay. All right. Well, so much, there's so much going on here. So much to, I guess, decompress, but B plus. And I think, I've seen a lot of bees. So yesterday I actually finished my article that I had about this and I interviewed multiple different people and they all also gave it a B. Anywhere from B plus to B minus. So that seems about average. I think that's fair. I also, I don't, my thought is if you're going to include the Jamal Adams trade in this grade, then I almost think you have to still wait another year or so, right? Like, I need to see if Jamal Adams' contract is going to be extended. And I also need to see how he's going to play this year. Because as of now, I'm not super sold that the trade was worth the two first-round picks. Um, oh, I, t- I totally disagree. Totally so, disagree. Wait, I he has hear why. already earned that money. I, I would love to hear money. why. I love when people – I love the people who love Jamal Adams because – I'm hoping that they convince me to love the Jamal Adams trade. <laughs> but tell me, tell me who you would rather have instead of those two first round picks. See, and I don't know that I think, <laughs> I think I look at it as last year, the Seahawks biggest need was, you know, addressing that pass rush, you know, the whole season it was okay, but who's going to be our pass rusher? Like the Seahawks can't rush the ball at all kind of thing. And I'm not convinced Jamal Adams was a solution for that specific problem. No, he wasn't the solution. Carlos Dunlap was a good solution for that problem. Right. And so then, I don't know. If they can extend Jamal Adams, it'll be different. I just, as of now, I'm not super sold that the trade was worth it. For it to have him in Seattle for two years would be kind of sucky. It would. Yeah, they do need to extend him. And John Schneider said before the draft that they were, in fact, looking to extend him. Now, we need to make sure that that actually happens. Right. But if you if you take a step back and you go big picture on this, mm-hmm. so let's say that they extend Jamal Adams, as John Schneider said that they were going mm-hmm. to, what you're looking at is a, a leader for the team when Bobby Wagner moves on right? Which I'm not saying is happening in the next year or two, but there's a point where Bobby is going to age out of this defense and you're looking for the next guy to be that leader of the defense. I could easily see that guy being Jamal Adams. And now that you have addressed 
pass rush, which this is the deepest group of defensive ends that the Seahawks have had since that Super Bowl run. You put Jamal back there, you've got pressure on the quarterback and you've got extra time. I I mean, for these guys to do what they're going to do, I think that this defense is built exactly the way you want it and very similar to the way that that 2012, 13 and 14 team was built. Now it's just a matter of pulling all the pieces together. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yep. Um, So hindsight is always 2020 as... I say while we're addressing grading anything, whether it be a draft or a trade or whatnot. Um, but so yesterday I graded them. I graded them a C plus. I was very, I think it's mostly just because I don't give out A's very often, <laughs> maybe, but. <laughs> I get that. I don't either. And until you know that you've got a future Hall of Famer in that pick, I'm not sure that it deserves an A. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also ended it by saying, you know, this grade could potentially skyrocket if, you know, everything works out with Jamal Adams and then whatnot. So anyways, moving on from grading that, because let's just talk about these actual rookies we drafted. Um, That'll be, yes, something. There's not a lot to, I guess, well, there's a lot to discuss here, but there's also not a lot to discuss because there's only three of them (laughs) compared to six or seven (laughs) but yes let's go pick by pick first were you at all surprised that seattle i mean we went into it knowing they only had three picks i had expected them to i guess create a couple more and so i was a little surprised that they only ended with three were you surprised at all yes i lost four bets i thought for (laughs) sure they were going to pick up at least one or two more in Mm -hmm. fact I had made bets with a few of our scouts and they had said, are you sure you want to make that bet? And I'm like, come on guys. We know John Schneider, like, come Mm -hmm. on. They were like, "Mm, I don't know about that. So yes, I was really surprised that they only ended up with three. And there was a point in time where they had an extra one, then Mm -hmm. they gave it back. And yeah, I guess. Um, I was, yes, surprised to say the least, but it made for a somewhat relaxing weekend. (laughs) So that was, (laughs) it did. It did. And Pete and John talked before the draft was even over, which has never happened. So that was a first. Yes. Okay. Um, Going into the draft, what needs did you think they needed to address? I certainly think they needed a wide receiver. Um, I was picturing more of a true number three and looking for a slot guy as a free agent. I just don't think you find rookies that are – as effective in the slot as somebody that is a wily veteran type, think Doug Baldwin, who could fill that role. I thought linebacker was a huge need, which is interesting to say because that has been a pretty stacked group over the last few years, but without KJ Wright being signed, I just thought that there was some question marks there. Adding depth on the offensive line, I thought was going to be something that they would look at. It's the easiest way to get talent there and the Seahawks have a lot of talent or I shouldn't say talent we don't know the extent of the talent they have on the offensive line but there's a lot of guys that they have that are practicing practice squad that are able to work into that spot um and I guess you know DBs just because you've got a question mark at corner right you don't really know who your two corners are going to be surprised me a little bit that it was Trey Brown but you know 
I'm pretty impressed by what I saw on tape. So those were probably the, what was that, four groups that I just gave you? Wide receiver, linebacker, offensive line, and something in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I'm assuming you feel like they addressed all, uh, not all of those needs, of course, because you listed four and they only had three picks. <laughs> yeah. But- Yeah, and I think that we learned something about what Shane Waldron is looking for in his Mm -hmm. offense, right? Because this is the other question mark. When you go to look at needs of the team, we compare it based on what we knew from Brian Schottenheimer's offense, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know exactly what Shane Waldron's offense is going to look like. We know it's not exactly like the Rams, but we know it's not exactly what we've seen from the last couple of years. So I thought Dwayne Eskridge, Great pickup. And it showed the type of receiver that he's looking for in that offense. If you put Dwayne, Tyler, and DK on the field together, Tyler Lockett is the slowest in that wide receiver group, which is unbelievable to me. And at 5'9", I would look at Dwayne and I would say, man, that's a little bit undersized, you know, probably a slot guy. And Pete says they're going to move them around all over the place. But here's what I really like about him. He played both ways in college, right? So he was a cornerback. I love that because he sees the game from a different vantage point and he is solidly built. He is not only capable of taking the hits, but delivering hits. And I just thought when he talked to the media, his personality was awesome. I thought um, he's got the right mental makeup for as much as you can tell in a press conference interview. And I just, I could start to picture then how you use him in a fly sweep type of role or how you send, you know, how these guys are going to work out of a bunch set together, right? And then watching corners try to cover them because they're not going to be able to. And that's been a problem for Seattle the last couple of years is getting a little bit of separation and freedom from Tyler and DK when teams know that they can just cover those two and take away a lot of options. I think he gives Seattle the options that they have been looking for. Mm -hmm. With Trey Brown, again... Interesting pick and that he's 5'9". And this one could signal a change in philosophy for Pete Carroll. We won't know that for another couple of years, but Pete has been pretty adamant that he wants his corners to be a certain size, Richard Sherman size. That means that they're over six feet tall. They've got these long wingspans. Trey Brown is 5'9". You would, again, profile him as that slot corner guy. And Pete said, no, he is competing for an outside spot. If that happens, you could have DJ Reed, who was also 5'9", and Trey Brown, who was 5'9", on the outside as corner. And you could have Marquise Blair inside as your your, uh, corner slot guy. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting And I think that Trey Brown and Dwayne Eskridge could actually make a greater impact on special teams than in either of their respective positions, which the Seahawks need, right? They they need an explosive guy to return kicks and to return punts. You don't want Tyler out there. I think it's really interesting, and you can never have too much depth at either of those positions. And lastly, with Stone Forsythe, I don't have his numbers off the top of my head, but Pro Football Focus ranked him as having the best grade of any tackle available in the draft. He kept Trask 
clean for two years at left tackle, and he has faced some pretty talented defenses. I don't think it's going to be too big of a jump for him to go into the NFL and kind of make his way. Does need some development in run blocking since it's mostly a pass blocking scheme that he's come out of, but his size, super intriguing. He is 6'9". He is now the largest, tallest guy on the Seahawks roster. Mm -hmm. He's huge. Um, I, so part of my, the grading that I did yesterday, I had reached out to Greg Bell. I don't know. He works for the News Tribune. I'm sure you know him, um, or know of him, but throughout, I would say a majority of our conversation, he raved about this guy and how, you know, he is coming from the SEC and, you know, he's not just playing in, I don't know, a week conference. I literally can't come up with something off the top of my head. But so he comes from the SEC. He's one of the best offensive tackles, if not the best offensive tackle in that conference. And, you know, to get him in Seattle is super cool. And he also addressed that, you know, run blocking is something that they can teach him, which is fantastic. It's great. You yeah. know, they never stop learning. So <laughs> that's a positive. Um, I want to go back to Dwayne Eskridge just for a moment. Because I think one thing that I saw on Twitter, of course, people are going to find anything and everything to complain about. But one of the things that I saw was, you know, why would Seattle, you know, they have all these needs. Why would they take a wide receiver when they have, you know, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and, you know, they really need a cornerback or to address their offensive line? Do you think they reached for Dwayne Eskridge in the second round? No, no, because the same things that they're complaining about, they complained more last year. The fan base complained more last year at the lack of offensive yards and the lack of explosive plays. They needed a number three receiver. David Moore went to Carolina and you've got an unproven in Freddie Swain. Now he did a great job. Freddie Freddie did make an impact last year and there is a spot for him, but no, you need a number three guy. And, you know, it's always interesting to me. I've covered the Seahawks now for 12 years as a sideline reporter. I've covered them for 15 to 16 years total. And the fan base now wants offensive linemen. There was a stretch in there where the Seahawks would draft offensive linemen in the first round and the fans would go crazy and be like, this is a stupid pick. Where's our skill guy? Where's our wide receiver? Where's our, our running back? The Seahawks have offensive linemen. They have a lot of offensive linemen on the roster. You just don't know all of their names because they have not played in games yet. So just because you don't know the guys that they have on the roster doesn't mean that, that they need to fill that position. Um, yes, cornerback is something that they addressed, but they also address that in free agency in getting Witherspoon, right? They, it's not like they had, and, and Pete and John addressed this, right? They did a lot of work in free agency in the off season to make sure that they went in with very few needs that they needed to address in the draft. I think they are about as deep as they can get at cornerback right now, because now you've got kind of a log jam. I think they still do need to add a, a wide receiver, whether that's a veteran guy or whether that's one of the free agents that they're going to find, um, undrafted free agents that they're going to find. And you're always going to look for offensive linemen because the injuries are going to happen there. So no, this is a really long answer to say, no, I don't think they stretch for Dwayne Eskridge. When you're looking for a playmaker, he is it. 
He is fast. He is going to change the game. And you have to have more than one of them because teams have focused way too much on taking DK Metcalf out of the game. You can't just have one playmaker on a team and think that he's going to make an offense go. Right. Uh, Something that I loved about them taking a wide receiver in the second round was, I mean, you mentioned this already, but, you know, we're slowly, I think, starting to learn about what Shane Waldron wants for this offense. And, you know, what was it like three months ago, the whole rust drama, he wants out of Seattle or he comes out and says that he wants more help on the offense. You know, I think instantly we think, oh, they're going to go out. They're going to draft him an offensive line, something like that. But, you know, instead they come and they draft him some more weapons to use, which I like. I like the aggressive. Well, but there's two, but there's the other parts of that, right? There's more than one way to protect a quarterback. Mm -hmm. And that's also what we have seen with Shane Waldron's offense, right? That he's putting together. Another way to protect the quarterback is to be able to get the ball out quicker. Right. So if you think about the way the Rams have run their offense with the fly sweeps and with a lot of kind of short, short yardage passes that turn into big yards after the catch, which is something else that Eskridge is good at, that can protect a quarterback just as well as having a solid offensive line. Look, right now you've got Dwayne Brown, you've got Damian Lewis, who played incredible last year as a rookie. You have Ethan Posick, who is a good center and has room to grow this year. You've got Gabe Jackson and you've got Brandon Shell with Cedric Abwehi there as a backup, right? That's a pretty solid offensive line. I don't think it's the personnel that's the issue. I think it's play calling that becomes an issue. And it has to do with the playmakers that you have in order to keep that tempo at a pace that will keep your quarterback upright. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. So the offense is something that I know I'm looking forward to seeing this upcoming season. Um, But let's move on. Talk about Trey Brown, this cornerback position. Mostly, I just want to get your opinion on this. Do you think Richard Sherman comes back to Seattle this season? You know, I don't know. Here's what I do know. Both sides would be open to it. Mm -hmm. And for as Nice as it would be for his nostalgic purposes. And I love Sherm, right? Sherm was one of my guys in the in the locker room. I always love talking to Sherm. I don't know if that's really what the fan base wants, right? Richard has not been able to stay as healthy the last couple of years as he was early in his career, right? That's not a knock on him. It's just what happens. And I think that if you bring him back, you might not want him to make the team only because you would want the younger guys, the ones that you just drafted, to be your future, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I could see a case, they were talking about this on the radio, I could envision the lawyer Malloy Cam Chancellor sort of play. So years ago, when Cam Chancellor was drafted, Pete Carroll brought back lawyer Malloy former Husky, former Patriot, right? And lawyer's job was to mentor Cam and there was a changing of the guard midway through the season. I could see where Richard Sherman gets brought back knowing that he is a mentor. Although look, Sherman is so competitive. That's not really the role that he wants. Now he is very good in that role. It's just not, it's not where he sees himself in his career. I think the most impressive part of this storyline is that both sides have said, 
Yes, we would welcome a reunion. Yes, we're open to that, Mm -hmm. right? There's no bad blood on either side of this equation. It is a testament to how both sides have maintained a relationship, gotten through a sticky point in that relationship when he left and things that were said. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that I enjoy most about watching this play out. I don't know that he is back in a Seahawks uniform and it's not because he's not, not a great player. I just don't know that he's what the Seahawks need right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fair take. I I think I'm indifferent toward it. I wouldn't be upset if he came back, and I wouldn't be upset if he didn't come back. It's, it is what it is, I suppose. But And then let's finally move on. Uh, I mean, we've talked about him a lot, Stone, here. We, you mentioned that you don't think he could have an immediate impact. Uh, Let me say, I hope he doesn't have an immediate impact. And here's why I hope he doesn't have an immediate impact. If he has an immediate impact, something has gone horribly wrong with two very good tackles. (laughs) Right? You have lost either a pro bowler in Dwayne Brown Mm -hmm. or a veteran in Brandon Shell. And you've also lost Cedric Abwehi at that point in time. Right? Like Mm -hmm. something has gone wrong if he has an immediate impact. And you want him to have a year to learn from those guys. If he is the successor to Dwayne Brown, you want him to watch Dwayne for a year and to learn from him before he has to get in there and be the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you brought it up already, but you know, Pro Football Focus did say that this was a steal of the sixth round um, to have him fall to Seattle in a sense is you know fantastic for them. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, in the next couple of years, coming back and reevaluating this draft class, you know, the impact he could potentially have is something to look forward to for sure. Well, in offensive linemen, I do want to just give a shout out to the Seahawks for a couple of things. I've seen a lot of, again, draft experts say that Seattle can't make first round picks and that they've had a lot of busts and they pointed to offensive linemen. They pointed to Jermaine Effetti and they pointed to Carpenter, James Carpenter. I got to say this. First of all, Jermaine has just signed another contract. He is still in the league. He is not a bust, right? Mm -hmm. Now, did he give you too many penalties? Yes, he did. But that doesn't make him a bust, right? And James Carpenter was one of the, is one of the quietest human beings you will ever meet. And I remember fans thinking when he went to New York, like, no big deal. Like, we don't care. No big deal. Like, what did Carp ever do? As it turns out, it took a number of years to replace him because he was a big body that got his job done. When we evaluate offensive linemen, it is very rarely the glamour spot. Like, we're very rarely talking about a Walter Jones. We're talking about somebody who just did their job who never shows up in the stats. So when people are looking at a guy like Ethan Posick, right, and I realize we're not talking first-round draft picks anymore, right, Ethan Posick and one day Stone Forsythe, You hopefully have never, ever heard of these guys because that means that they're doing their job well. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Which is, oh gosh, kind of sad if you think about it. Um, I guarantee you after talking to (laughs) quite like over a hundred offensive linemen, that's how they prefer it. They, Mm -hmm. they are, they are not going to be the talkers in the media. They would much prefer to be the unknowns in the locker room. (laughs) Um, 
So let's compare. We don't actually have to compare at all. We don't have to talk about any of the other teams in the NFC West, their draft at all. But, I mean, maybe the big thing is, you know, San Francisco drafting Trey Lance. Um, Do you think Trey Lance is going to start or, like, are they going to trade Jimmy G? What are you predicting happens at the beginning of the 2021 NFL season? I cannot figure out what they're going to do there. And because, look, Trey Lance is going to run the offense very differently than Jimmy G is, right? Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that if – this is going to be Trey Lance's offense that you start him out of the gate. You already know that they're not going to hang on to Garoppolo, but I don't know then what you have as an option if Lance can't get the job done or if he gets hurt, mm-hmm. right? That's a really interesting dynamic. I'm sure that they're still trying to move Garoppolo, but it's an interesting dynamic. I'm not saying that Lance can't succeed, but this is, it's a transition year. Right. And the fact that he was an FCS school instead of an FBS school, to me, that makes a big difference. Right. Um, The competition that he's going to face, especially when he played like zero last year. I just man, I think that that's going to be a tough transition either way. Mm -hmm. And I hope the Seahawks face them early in the season Mm -hmm. before he has a chance before he or Jimmy G has a chance to settle in. Um, but it's interesting, right? And it's interesting to think about how that could reshape the 49ers offense. And also, as we've seen in the last three months with the number of first round quarterbacks being traded, the likelihood that he is the franchise quarterback is pretty slim, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's just the numbers of, you know, first round quarterbacks that have been traded. It's unlikely that he's their answer, but I haven't seen him play in that system yet. Yeah, it'll be. It's so interesting. I I guess going into the draft, did you think they were going to draft Trey Lance? or No. No, but I'm going to say this. I was excited they drafted Trey Lance because I think that he's got – he's going to take longer to ramp up. That's just me personally, mm-hmm. right? If you would have taken Fields, I would have thought, oh, man, that's a little bit – oof, that's going to be tough, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking that, ah, again, put him early on the Seahawks' schedule – I don't think our defense is going to be fooled. And I know that the 49ers said, well, we didn't want to tip our hands because we didn't want other teams making their selections on defense based on that. Look, nobody was going to make their selections Mm -hmm. based on who they were taking at quarterback, right? Not until you know whether he's a threat in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And again, with the way the Seahawks defense is built, I'm not really worried about it. The team I am worried about in the division is actually Arizona. Oh, wait, I want to hear this take because last week, I think, so I had Stacy, um, you know, Stacy, I had her on the podcast last week and we, I guess, ranked the NFC West and I think Arizona was last for both of us. So I'd love to hear yeah. why you'd be most worried about them. Because they picked up a linebacker who's a pass rusher. And last year, the Seahawks did not face a healthy Arizona defense and they could not handle them. Mm -hmm. That Arizona defense at full strength is tough. And you add JJ Watt to that mix. I do not want to see them at full strength against the Seahawks offense. I have zero questions Mm -hmm. about the Seahawks defense right now. Now 
I say that not knowing how the secondary is going to play out and who the starting corners are going to be. But what I trust is there's a lot of depth there and there's a lot of options. And with that defensive front, I have zero concern that they are going to be able to get after the quarterback and create turnovers and create havoc and create opportunities for the Seahawks secondary. I have concerns over how the Seahawks offense is going to respond to all that pressure from the Arizona defense because Arizona has been a tough, tough team for the Seahawks for a number of years, whether it should have penciled out that way or not. So that's the one that actually concerns me because I don't see them being in transition. I see the Rams being in transition because they lost a number of coaches. You're trying to figure out, again, what that offense looks like. I see the 49ers being a little bit in transition because you've selected potentially the quarterback of the future. In Arizona, you know who the quarterback is going to be. They got knocked in the draft because they did not get him help on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what their free agent pickups look like. I do know what that defense looks like, and I'm worried. Yeah, and I think, too, they drafted the depth that they needed at cornerback for sure, which was probably one of the things that I noticed right away was like, okay, (laughs) well, this is fantastic. (laughs) Um, But maybe let's talk about the Rams then. What do you think Matt Stafford looks like in L.A.? I think if the Rams keep their offense the same, which is going to be a little tricky, I don't know how that's going to look with a new coaching staff on the offense. If they keep that offense the same and Matthew Stafford is asked to run the exact same offense that Jared Goff ran, he will excel beyond anything you saw Jared Goff. Because Matthew Stafford can throw a better ball than Jared Goff, and I don't need you to run. Right. I just need you to dump the ball off and I need you to have that experience and I need you to have that poise back there. And Matthew Stafford has it. And if now again, they they got knocked because of the size of the wide receivers that they took early. Right. I care less about that. If your quarterback can see them like if you're running fly sweeps, Mm -hmm. I don't really care how big your your wide receivers are. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if they keep that same offensive scheme or if they try to meld it into a combination of what Stafford ran in Detroit and what they ran last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. there. It seems the NFC West is interesting to me because I think it is the toughest division in the NFL. Eh, yeah, for sure. The toughest, but there's also a ton of unknowns in it, which makes it kind of weird. You know, I don't know how I can say it's the toughest, but also say that there's all these transitions happening. I just know that it's going to be very competitive for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) you've got teams that know each other really well, right? And you've got coaches that have been around that know each other really well. Um, And they tend to play each other fairly evenly during the course of the season, right? I mean, it's the way, it's the style of the teams that ends up making this a really tough division. And you have had some of the best players in the league in the NFC West in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. That'll be interesting. So how about you rank the NFC West now? So last week, Stacey and I did it. I want to hear how you rank it. Um, One, of course, being the best, fourth being the worst, even though the worst still isn't even that bad in the NFC West. 
I'm going to sound like a homer, but I would put Seattle at the top. I mean, Seattle won 12 games last year. Everybody acts like Seattle's on this downhill turn and they need to rebuild. It's like, did you forget how many games they won last year in a pandemic without any fans in the stands? I think it is silly to think that this is a rebuilding year for the Seahawks. That's just ridiculous. And given the continuity they've had in personnel, I get it, Shane Waldron, different. But you have Russell Wilson, you have a lot of continuity in the players, I would have to put them at the top. I think Arizona is probably the rising star. I would rank them second, which I know, controversy compared to what you said last week. <laughs> Even Seattle as one is controversy compared to what we said last week. Uh, so. I would say, man, I would say the Rams with Matthew Stafford is interesting to me and the 49ers. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to put the 49ers at the bottom, and I'm going to say this. It is skewed by my most recent memories of the 49ers, and they had a ton of injuries mm -hmm. last year, right? So without diving in and really looking at who they have coming back and those expected timelines, I'm just going to – I'm going on, like, recent history. Mm -hmm. They struggled. Right. It's, it's hard because – I think San Francisco is a good team, but you're right. You know, last year they weren't a great team and it's to know, you know, nothing we could have predicted at all last year. So, okay. I think that is enough. NFC West Seahawk talk. It was fun <laughs> to say the least. There's still so, there's still so many unknowns, right? And lots of things can happen up until the start of the season. Man, the NFC West is going to be really fun though. I think we spend so much time talking about it on this podcast because unbiasedly, I think it's the most interesting division. <laughs> like, I mean, you could make arguments for maybe like the AFC East, perhaps, but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the yeah. NFC North. I don't think you need to apologize for being a Seahawks fan <laughs> and like to talk about the NFC West. Somebody yeah. has to, because you know they're not talking about it on the East Coast. So right. we got to make sure that it stays in the news and stays stays exactly. as a hot topic. Exactly. Although sometimes I don't even feel like a fan based off some of the takes I make. <laughs> the Jamal Adams takes or grading them a C plus or all of these things. Um, but let's move on. So... Of course, I'm really grateful to have you on the podcast for multiple reasons. First, you clearly know what you're talking about when it comes to football, Seahawks in general. It's fantastic. But one of the things that I really stood out to me right away was, you know, you have been working in sports media for a long time now, and you have really established yourself, which is really inspiring to see. The other thing that I found really interesting was talk sporting to me. And so I really want to spend a lot of time just asking about, you know, your experience in sports media, how Talk Sporty to Me started, what it's like working for the Mariners and the Seahawks, and I guess doing all of this, how do you manage it? So let's just start. Maybe explain Talk Sporty to Me for everyone listening so they know what we're talking about here. Um, I think that's key. Yeah, so Talk Sporting to me is a company that I founded 12 years ago. I am an accidental entrepreneur. I did not set out to start a company. What I set out to do was help a group of women who had asked if there was a presentation I could give on how to use sports 
to entertain clients. And this group of women worked for KPMG, which is a big accounting firm. And they noticed that their male counterparts were taking potential clients to sporting events. At the time, it was Sonics games, Mariners games. And, you know, the They couldn't quite see the correlation, but they started to recognize these potential clients became clients and that the men had a larger book of business. And as a result, were earning more money and more opportunities, despite the fact that their education level and experience level and essentially overall work product was the same, right, between men and women. And so this group of women was trying to understand how to leverage sports. And I created a presentation. And as I was doing that and started talking to other people, I realized it's not just women and it's not just this group. There's a lot of folks who could be leveraging sports better. They could be using sports small talk in more effective ways than just talking about the outcome of a game. And that's where I started all of the content, the blogs, the presentation, that's where it started. And then it really is, it's moved into business communication skills. Because when you are in a locker room, you've got to be really direct, really specific. And when you're on TV and radio, you have to be really concise and you want to eliminate as much confusion as possible. And the way that we communicate in those settings directly correlates to what you should be doing in your personal conversations and in conversations that you have in business. So I am a different take on business communication. I do trainings, presentations, keynotes. I write blogs. I write books. And it's fun for me now. And I know that when I exit TV and sports media, that I have a backup plan. Because the one thing I always knew coming into this industry 20 years ago, you know, they they told me that I was lucky, that I would be lucky to get a job. And I'd be even luckier if I lasted more than a couple of years. And when that's the primary message that you hear the entire time you're in college and first out of college, you make sure that you've got a backup plan. So Talk Sporty is also a backup plan <laughs> for <laughs> when I outlive my usefulness on TV, I will still have something that I can do. So let's talk about that aspect now of it, you know, being a backup plan, I think sharing how it, why it's a backup plan really it transitions well into this next part. So first, did you know that you wanted to work in sports media or how did you end up where you are now? I actually thought I wanted to be a school teacher. I wanted to be a third grade teacher until I was a junior in high school. And my high school guidance counselor said, you know, you like to talk a lot and you're not afraid to talk in front of people. Have you ever thought about broadcasting? And I thought it was the most ridiculous suggestion ever because who thinks about that? Particularly 25 years ago when there were fewer opportunities to be in the media, right? There was no internet. You didn't have people. There was no YouTube. The only people that you saw on TV were your local news and sportscasters every night. And if you were watching Sports Center, right? Mm-hmm. I decided to give it a shot again, me with a backup plan. Teaching was going to be the backup plan. I went to school. I got a degree in broadcast journalism. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to do with that, sports was the number one thing. I was always an athlete. I always loved sports growing up. I came from a family that just liked watching sports. And that seemed way more interesting to me than having to talk about news every night. And also, there were only a handful of women doing sports at the time. 
So I double major, double minored in case they did not allow me to do sports. Um, I was going to do like the legal and the politics side of news reporting um, because I needed a backup plan, as you've already learned, right? Um, But once you decide that you want to go into sports, it's just like any other job. You look for the internships, you look for the entry-level jobs, and you just kind of work your way up. And that's how it started. And 21 years later, here we are. Mm -hmm. So from the beginning, people told you, good luck. You'll you'll be lucky enough to get a job in sports media. And then they continued to tell you, good luck if you can last more than like two years kind of thing. So how did you take those comments? And is it still something that you see existing in sports media for women specifically? Well, I so I would say, here's how I would answer that. I do see it existing, but also I know now that one of the reasons it's hard to stick around in media in general is those first few years are rough. You don't make a lot of money. You work crazy hours. It's really, really hard to make it that long so that you can start to get to the good stuff, right? Like once the initial excitement wears off, it is a grind, right? And there's $10 in your bank account every week. And, you know, you don't get vacation days and you don't see your family because you work nights, weekends, and holidays, and you're trying to figure out why it's worth it. And so anybody getting into the industry, it can be really challenging and really hard. I actually think that there is many more opportunities for women now than there ever have been, right? When we think about digital outlets and teams employing their own media use, right? And when you think about the number of programming options available and online options, there's far more opportunities than there ever were before. And everybody who gets into this mindset has to have the same competitive outlook as the athletes that we cover, right? It is the battle against yourself more than anything else. And it is your willingness to stick to it and believe that something good is going to happen tomorrow as a result of your hard work today. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, What expectations did you have going into sports media? You know, I expected that I would get a chance to do something that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I also thought that it would be the coolest thing in the entire world if I could just be the local sports anchor. Like if I could find a town and if I could be the local sports anchor, I thought that would be the coolest thing. Like the main sports anchor, not just the one that worked on the weekends, but the main sports mm-hmm. anchor. I thought that would be the coolest thing in the entire world. When I was in college, you have to remember regional sports networks were not the size that they are today. If you would have told me 25 years ago that I would work for a regional sports network that had a footprint in five states and that I would be the sideline reporter for an NFL team, I would say that you're crazy. Like those things never even crossed my mind. So I try to tell people when you map out your dream job, understand that that's going to change, right? Because I couldn't have even envisioned my dream job when I started this and you just kind of get on the path and you make your decisions and you work hard. And then suddenly you do have your dream job that you never dreamed of. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess my next question 
would be what in, okay so that's good advice in general but what advice would you give to a young woman or maybe just a woman in general because who knows someone could be older and want to change the career path <laughs> um, but what advice would you give to a woman specifically who was interested in sports media I would say don't look at yourself as a woman first of all so when we think about things, and, and I've had this conversation, I don't think about myself as a woman in sports. I'm a sports broadcaster. I'm not a female sports broadcaster, right? When I was a football official, I'm not a female football official. I am a football official. When we start categorizing ourselves and saying, as a woman, how am I going to manage this? We have put barriers in place on our own. Right. And I guarantee you, none of my male counterparts start their day or start a project saying, as a man, how am I going to do this? So while we're trying to figure out as a woman, how am I going to handle this? My male counterparts have already like gone past. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the first thing is understand that it is hard to be successful in any industry that you choose. It will be hard to be successful in sports. Is it harder for women? I don't know because I don't know what the other side of that is. There are definitely some challenges and some irritations that I have had to deal with that my male counterparts don't have to, but I don't know that it's any less hard for them to be successful as it is for me, mm -hmm. right? Um, maybe, do you just want to highlight some of those irritations or frustrations or things that you have to deal with that some of your male counterparts don't have to deal with? Yeah, here's the here's the biggest one. I don't get to ask stupid questions. So there is zero tolerance. If I ask a question that isn't actually a question after a game, I don't have any leeway. It does not matter how long I have covered a team. I won't get the same response as one of my male counterparts who says, man, that was a tough game and expects the manager or the coach to just talk about it, right? You will never, ever hear me do that because I don't have leeway for that. And I've, in fact, been called out by big league managers for not actually asking the question mm -hmm. when my male counterparts have done the exact same thing and their, their non-question mm -hmm. gets answered as if it was the greatest question in the entire world. That's one of my biggest irritations now, mm -hmm. like on a regular basis, right? Mm -hmm. Is that I have to be really dialed in and I have to be really conscious of what I'm saying and what I'm communicating um, because I, I can't leave that to chance. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're ever, I guess, not taken seriously when, for instance, like you just sat on my podcast for 30 minutes and spewed out all of this great content and showed that you were very knowledgeable and know what you're talking about. Um, do you ever feel like you're not taken seriously, though, um, I guess, compared to your male counterparts? You know what? It it absolutely was a fear of mine a number of years ago. And I really wanted to be respected and I wanted to earn, you know, my place in that conversation. And I feel less like that now, but 
part of that's because I've been in this community for over 20 years and I've covered the teams that I work with for over a decade, right? So I don't have those same feelings now, but there was a point in time where I did. And part of that is just having the confidence to know that I've done my research, I have put in the work, I am showing up, I'm having the conversations, I know what I know And I know when to ask a question because I have no idea what's going on. But if I go back to when I was a football official, you know, I will tell you, there was many times where I was not taken seriously, right up until I flagged him, right? Right up until I got the call, right? And I was like, yeah, no, that's not how this works, guys, Mm -hmm. right? And there were times where I would tell them what the rule was and what the call was, and they wouldn't believe me, and they would go and ask one of my male officials on the field, and the male would tell them, yep, that's the right call. She made the right call. That's what the rule book says. And the coach would look exasperated. And I know that he didn't take me seriously, and that's okay. I can deal with that as long as I know that I put in the work and that I got it right. You can go and ask as many people as you want, but if I have done the work, I can at least sit with that and feel good about it. Right. Um, I guess I don't have any specific questions, um, but is there anything else about your experience that you want to share or any other advice you might have or any other stories you'd want to share to close out? What kind of stories do you want? I don't know. There's lots of stories. I'm sure there's tons of stories. Um, Maybe what is your favorite? Okay. What is it like being in the locker room? Um, Especially, right? So if you're in the Seahawks, you mentioned that Sherman, Richard Sherman was one of your favorite like locker room interviews or interviewees. (laughs) Um, What is it like being a woman in a locker room full of, all of these male athletes? So what I will say first is that is the number one question that I get asked um, (laughs) when people find out what I do. So if if we were playing Family Feud, you'd win. Um, (laughs) Secondly, a locker room is much more professional and clinical than people imagine, right? Most people, their minds start going and they think that everybody's walking around without any clothes on. That's really not what a locker room is. A locker room looks like, um, it looks like a very casual workplace. Let's just say that you've got people wearing shorts and t-shirts. They're sweaty. There's towels around. It generally stinks. So there's that. Um, but there's a lot of conversations that take place for me in particular, being a woman in a locker room. Here's what I learned a long time ago. I am going to stand out because I am often the only one. So I can do one of two things with that. I can use that to my advantage, or I can be intimidated by it. Mm -hmm. I can be intimidated that everybody looks at me when I walk in thinking, what is she doing here? Or I can recognize that I am the person they're going to remember because I look different than everybody else. So they remember my name. They remember talking to me. They remember what we talked about. They pay attention when I say hi to them and when we have interactions. So most of my time spent in a locker room is actually talking to guys and building relationships. Because during the week, being in a locker room is pretty... um, it's pretty mundane, right? It's like having small talk with every person that you meet in class or in your work environment. Being in a locker room on game day is intense. Like it's intense after a game where you have 53 sweaty, pissed off men 
and you have to figure out how to get them to talk and not swear on the radio. Mm -hmm. Right. And so during the week, I just spent a lot of time building relationships with them and having conversations and going back around and essentially networking in a locker room. Mm -hmm. And you, I find my favorites by having those conversations. There are some players that are more open to talking. There are players that after time, they know they can trust me. I'm not going to put them in a bad spot when they are doing an interview. Mm -hmm. Um, they know that I have put in the work in watching them and showing up at practice and knowing what I'm talking about. And it makes my job easier on Sundays, whether they win or lose. And then there's a camaraderie that takes place, right? I try to show up at every opportunity that I'm given, every single practice, every single press conference, and they know that I'm in it with them. And that helps. So being in a locker room, it's not like it's sexy. It's not like there's naked men. It's very much we're all there to do a job and you just get your job done, which I know that's not really the answer that you were hoping for, <laughs> but <laughs> that's kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. So your favorite locker room, I guess, interview, do you have one? I have a favorite interview. It didn't okay. happen in the locker room. Okay. Well, that's even better. Your favorite interview. My favorite interview is Felix Hernandez after his perfect game. Oh, that is, yeah. You don't even have to explain why that would be your favorite. Well, but let me, but let me <laughs> but tell explain you. it anyways. <laughs> I'll try to explain this short. Um, the Mariners had experienced a no-hitter earlier in that year. It was the combined no-hitter. And I was not very well prepared with my questions after the game because all I kept thinking was, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. And I listened back to that interview and I'm like, those were stupid questions, Jen. Like you didn't get the real story of the game. You were too wrapped up in how you felt. And so when it happened and you could see that it was happening with Felix, mm -hmm. I was able to slow everything down. I still have the questions written on the scorecard that I kept. And it was a great interview. Like the questions and the answers were great. And it's an interview I never thought was going to happen because he and I had a little falling out in spring training and we had to patch it up early in the season. And I always kind of wondered and worried in the back of my head if it was going to prevent us from having like a great moment after he threw a no hitter or a perfect game. Mm -hmm. And when I walked out onto the field to interview him and he looked at me and I looked at him and, and we just kind of knew, and it was just, it was a good moment. It was a great interview. It was unbelievable to be part of history. That's my favorite. I love that. That's a fun story. Um, and it actually transitions well. So I like to end the podcast with questions that literally don't matter for anything, but they're fun and usually related to hot topics going on. So okay. or things that are relevant to anyone here in Seattle, which is where I'm located. Um, and you're located in the area as well, right? Yes, I am. Okay. Yes. Okay. So talking about the Mariners a little bit, is this the year they end their playoff drought? No, it's not. <laughs> Tragic. <laughs> when do you think it happens? If you had to guess. Would it's it another year or two. Okay. There's a lot of players that are developing. There's a lot of good talent, but it's going to take them just a little time. Mm -hmm. But it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. I. It doesn't even affect me at all, but it. I, I do feel bad for Mariners fans. My favorite is, you know, getting, I actually received, what was it? Maybe like two weeks ago, someone texted me and they were like, the Mariners are so good. Like, this is our year. And I was like, just wait for it. It's coming. 
Um, but that that's probably my favorite. Okay, next, switching sports a little bit here. I was watching Get Up recently. So we record, we're recording this on Thursday, so people have a storyline, the timeline. On Wednesday on Get Up, they were, you know, debating LeBron James versus Tom Brady. I don't even know why. I, I love how they create their own content, though, um, considering I don't think that's really relevant to anything. But <laughs> I sat there and I watched anyways. <laughs> um, which do you think is harder, winning a championship in the NFL or the NBA? So Super Bowl, NBA Finals. Which one do you think is harder? I think it's harder in the NFL because you can't afford to have a bad day at all ever. You mm-hmm. can't afford to have a bad game during the regular season, and it is win or go home in the postseason. And you could use that and flip that around for the NBA and say, well, it's harder to stay healthy over a longer season and you have to keep performing. But I'm going to say the intensity level on a Sunday, on a regular season NFL game is exponentially higher than any single game that you'll experience in any other sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. I think too, with the Super Bowl in general, you have one chance, right? So we saw this past year, you know, the Chiefs, they play great. Well, I wouldn't say great all season, but you know, they're the Chiefs and then they show up and they can't really do anything during the Super Bowl and it stinks because they blew it. (laughs) Um, How long until Seattle gets an NBA team? You know? Seattle local once experienced. I'm going to say it's probably another two years, two to three years. I would guess I would think you'd want the Kraken to get kind of settled in mm-hmm. and, and work through that before you added another team. I would say two to three years. I would say less than five. How's that? Okay. This will be a fun question then. <laughs> Which comes first? The Raiders make the playoffs or Seattle gets an NBA team? Uh, the Mariners making the playoffs. So you got to count on these kids to do something, right? Like by that point in time, if I say less than five years, you've got to think that that talent will have, you know, with the system ranked what it is, right? If that talent keeps coming, you got to think that they snap that streak before then. Okay. All right. And then we'll conclude. We'll bring it back to football. We'll bring it back to the Seahawks specifically. DK Metcalf. We talked about how fast he was earlier. Um, He's going to try out for the Olympics, I guess. That's a thing that's happening. (laughs) Um, How likely do you think it is that that happens? It's probably not likely, but he is a super competitive guy and he's really fast. And I cannot wait to see what that outcome is because for as fast as he is, remember he did not run track in college and you've got guys who are doing this like every day. That'd be like putting a track athlete out on the football field and thinking that he's going to get open, right? Mm -hmm. When he doesn't actually go against defenses and and corners. Um, I I hate to root. I'm not rooting against him. I hate to count him out of this. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's likely. I do think that it'll be competitive and fun. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Um, it, It'll be fun. If anything, it's content um, that I'm here for. Just the entertainment of it. Now, the final question. This is not the question I was planning on asking. But if you could participate in any Olympic sport, so you, whatever athletic abilities you need, you have it. Which sport would it be? I always wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. 
Okay. Did you swim at all? I did swim. I did swim um, all the way through high school. Then I was a swim team coach for a few years. Um, I just love that sport. I mean, it would be sexier if I said like gymnast, because I'd love a little gymnast body or, you know, I'd love to be a sprinter. But the reality is I'm not going to run that much to be a sprinter and I'm not flexible enough to do all of the gymnast things. I think I could, in fact, be a swimmer somewhere in a, in a different life. I, that's a funny answer. Honestly, I have a lot of respect for swimmers. I think that is an underrated sport. People do not realize how hard it is. And the training is a grind, a grind. I had friends in high school who were swimmers and it was like 4 a.m. practices and then 3 p.m. practices and just like, how do you do homework or sleep or have a social life? I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know what? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Being in sports broadcasting, you don't have a life, you don't sleep, and you don't have time to do much of anything else. So it's perfectly suited. Yeah, it's... (laughs) An easy transition for you if that's ever any. That's after, right. Yeah. If it ever happened. <laughs> whatever you decide to retire from broadcasting, just hop onto that swimming grind. <laughs> At that point, I would be like on the senior circuit. And I just, I don't know that anybody needs that. I don't, I don't know that. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you're amazing. You're fantastic. It was my pleasure to have you um, for this little hour here. And with that, I'm going to close out. Um, but I am going to ask people to DM me what sport they would want to play in the Olympics. Because um, I think this, this answer is very fun. Um, and until then, so just a little preview for next week's episode. The NFL schedule is supposed to be released in one week. And next week's episode will be dedicated to highlighting which games we're excited about. Not Jen and I. It's a surprise guest. Um, but which games we're excited about. Um, over, under, you know, all that stuff.